Hello and welcome. You are listening to an episode of the Sales Chat Show. To stream or download a host of further free episodes that will power your sales success, please visit saleschatshow.com. We really hope that you enjoy and benefit from this episode. Hello folks and welcome to yet another episode from the Sales Chat Show, saleschatshow.com, driving your sales forward. In the Sales Chat Show studio, Mr. Phil Jess and Mr. Graham Jones, and I'm Simon Hazeldean. And this episode is called, What Can the World's Top Football Manager Teach You About Leading Your Sales Team? Now, by way of introduction, uh, my son Tom is a massive lifelong Liverpool football fan. And at the moment, Liverpool are doing extremely well under the leadership of their manager, Jurgen Klopp. And in our household, we've become quite big fans of Jürgen and his uh, his approach to leadership. And in the newspaper at the weekend, I was interested in an article. Um, the journalist was asking him why Jürgen Klopp has achieved so much with Liverpool in the last four and a half years when Jose Mourinho has been sacked twice. Uh, Jürgen could only offer maintaining a sense of normality and delegating. Those are the journalist's words. But Jürgen then went on to say... It's funny, but this morning I woke up, went into the kitchen, made a coffee for my missus, made myself a tea and food for the dog, so it's pouring with rain, raining like crazy, and I'm stood in the garden with the dog. That is how it is. I don't know what I have. I know that I'm busy, I'm interested, I have sensational people around me, and I am really skilled at listening to smart people. Now, gentlemen, I know that football is a very different activity than sales and, and leading a sales team, but I thought that was an interesting insight into, obviously, this guy's a very, very successful uh, manager, very successful what he did. What potentially do you think sales directors, sales managers listening to this could learn from Jürgen's approach to management and leadership? Well, that's a very good question. And, um, on the subject of football, perhaps I should just say that I'm an Aston Villa supporter, which means that I watch the game on a Saturday and seek counselling on the Monday. I say, you can get tablets for that. <laughs> but I think what Jurgen Klopp has uh, via your introduction is clearly the common touch. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, very, very good at sort of you know, relating to people. Uh, but I think his key strength for me is that he is an enabler. He doesn't consider himself to be the star of the show. He creates the environment for others to be successful. And I think if football didn't exist, you'd probably find Jurgen Klopp as the director of a play, standing in the wings, directing operations, but not interested in the encore and very happy for other people to be standing in the spotlight. But I think he's also very, very shrewd. Um, he's done a lot of work in three uh, areas that do impact on his players. Uh, he's won the media over, he's won the crowd over, and at times he's been quite forceful with them in terms of their behaviour and lack of support. Uh, and he's also done a lot of work in the community. So he's, very, very, he's done some very clever work making sure that his players are not reading hostile statements about them 
coming from those uh, three groups. So what we might call stakeholder management. Yes, in Sort indeed. of management parlance. Yeah. He's clearly worked yeah. out who he's... And yeah. I am told from, from people who know this much better than I do, not being a huge football fan, he has a very inclusive approach to all the staff, yeah. whoever they are at the club. Yeah. So apparently he's very involving of everybody and, and yeah. very much speaking to everybody and which must take in a tremendous amount of yes. energy and work and time on his part. And I think the, the, another thing that you'll notice about Jurgen Klopp if you watch the, uh, uh, the TV highlights uh, is the players' reaction to him. If they score a goal or do something that's particularly noteworthy, uh, they'll rush over to him and give mm. him a sort of a hug or a handshake or something. And at the end of the match, uh, Jurgen Klopp is the sort of person who seeks individuals out even if they've had a terrible game, he puts his arm around their shoulders and has a chat to them. And you see him coming off the pitch very often, sort of arm around the shoulder of a player. He's not somebody that's already gone down the tunnel uh, preparing his uh, debrief in the, in the dressing room. The thing I think that, that was really interesting was, was he, his comment about listening, his skill in listening to smart people. So... If you're, if you're, as a sales director, as a sales manager, if you've got your recruitment right, you've got some pretty sharp people in your team, and also not just in your team, and also your back office, your mm. sales support, your sales enablement, yeah. your marketing function, etc. And you know, if you've got your recruitment right, you're going to have some good, you're going to have some good, good people there. You know, yeah. because some sharp, you can have some sharp cookies, particularly if you go looking for. Mm. People who are bright and clever, you might suddenly find out you've got lots of people who are bright and clever. Sometimes mm. it's just a mindset thing. And just, I suppose, having the humility, which I think is what he has, mm. to listen to other people's ideas. So before we came on air, we were just chatting chatting this potential episode through. And um, I put forward the sort of hypothesis that if one of the players came up with an idea that was different to his intended strategy, we think he would probably at very least listen and mm. consider it, whereas mm. we think other managers would just reject it as being a stupid a stupid idea. Yeah, I mean, there are many other managers we could talk about. You mentioned one in your introduction. I think uh, the interesting thing about Jose Mourinho is that he probably thinks he, he is the single most important element uh, in that setup. Mm. Um, and I don't think that is ever the case if people at the top of the tree actually start to believe that they are the key man or key woman, uh, then they're probably on a one to two year decline just for, through that rather strange arrogance and uh, uh, eccentricity really. Now I know nothing about football because uh, I'm of the view that if uh, you've got 22 grown men running around a patch of grass all chasing one ball. There's only 11 in one team grown. There's 22 playing a match aren't there? There's 22 <laughs> of them running around chasing a ball. They're all interested in this ball. Why not give them a ball each? They'd be much happier. Um, so uh, I don't I don't see the point of it quite frankly you know when there's a proper sport like rugby they could be playing um, but <laughs> so all I know about football managers is those that I see on the television news when there's a match and they're commenting on the news and I see you know some managers who are clearly uh, running the team based around them as an individual and you can tell that from their attitude and what they talk about they talk about I did this I did that when I when I did this in the team you know when I told the team to do this you know I've told the team that it's all me 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 yeah and so there are several managers like that 
whereas uh, the manager of Liverpool appears to be all about them. And what I, what I witness is, from a psychological point of view, a leader who has high emotional intelligence, yes. uh, who is focusing his team on the team and focusing on understanding them as individuals and having high degrees of empathy and all of those kind of things that then attract those people to work for him. Mm. Uh, you see that with the manager of the England ladies football team as well. High degree of emotional intelligence to get them to, to all work together just around him. And whereas you get other team, other managers who have very low emotional intelligence, you see this with political leaders and so on, low emotional intelligence, almost dictating what to do, and then nobody wanting really to work for them, other than the fact that they're happy to stay at that club because they're earning £300,000 a week, and they're, they're quite happy to earn the £300,000 a week, but not really succeed as a team, because they're in, those people then are interested in themselves. So low emotional intelligence attracts people who are centred on themselves. So you get a team that's not working as a team, they fall down the league, yeah, so we see this with other teams who are no longer as successful as they were until you get a manager in with high emotional intelligence that attracts people with high emotional intelligence that work together as a team because they're emotionally intelligent and then you've got a successful team. Well, there is also a wonderful video on YouTube of um, a charity in the UK, Make-A-Wish, that uh, fulfills wishes for, for sort of terminally ill children and children with, with, with challenges. Um, and um, a young chap with learning disabilities, his ambition was to meet Jurgen Klopp and there's a video of the, uh, the whole encounter and in it Jurgen Klopp demonstrates incredibly high levels of emotional intelligence um, in, in relating um, with, the, with the young guy. It's absolutely lovely, lovely thing to watch. But I think that also does impact Graham's point around you know, you want to set up one of your colleagues to succeed and score a goal as much as you want to score the goal for yourself which requires obviously that focus on the team and emotional intelligence being a part. A little bit closer to home though, Graham, for you, uh, Sir Clive Woodward, uh, former former yep. coach of the England rugby team, has a concept, I've seen him speak, Sir Clive speak a couple of times, a fantastic speaker if you get the chance, on teamification. And he was very heavily around involving people in the decisions that were made. And he would always hold the right as the leader to be the final decision maker. You know, it's not about abdicating your responsibility, but very much about gaining agreement and buy-in, which creates that engagement. And I think the culture in the team, which he's very strong on. But I think that's also the culture of rugby. You know, the culture of rugby is very inclusive. It's very team-oriented. It's very much about each other. And so you witness that in, you know, the way they're rewarded. You know, the, a rugby player is paid per year what a football player is paid per week. And so the whole way the, foot, the culture of football is all about me as the individual. And so the whole culture of it means that you get managers who are about me as the individual. So if we think about that as sales teams, the more you have a sales force that is all about themselves as individuals rather than about the team... Uh, the more you approach it that way, you get a sales leader is all about themselves as an individual, almost dictating to the sales team what to do in order to improve their career. You end up actually not succeeding as well as if you actually have a sales team where everybody is in it for each other. I think I think there's a, um, a broad point here that has little to do with football, and that is the 
the Chris Akabusi comment that, you know, don't look up to people, look into people. Mm. And I think what we are really encouraging our listeners to do is to think of any person that is successful, whether they be sport or politicians or people in the film or music business or high-profile figures like, you know, Greta Thunberg or Mother Teresa or Nelson Mandela or whoever, uh, but when they start to see those individuals who are successful in their own field, um, it's to become a little bit curious and investigate the secrets to those uh, successes. I, mean, I think that's the mindset. You know, I think it was uh, the American Tony Robbins who says success leaves clues. And yes, football, rugby, whatever it is, is you know played under tightly controlled rules to create an interesting spectacle. Unless you're Graham and you don't like it, uh, no, no, of course you like rugby, but. Yeah, but the question is, what can you learn that you could apply? Yes, he's got an entirely different job than you if you're a sales director. However, for me, the takeaway I would say is he listens very, he makes a point of listening to successful, smart people. That's yeah. what he's doing. And he no doubt incorporates what he hears into. So I'd say that as an action, first and foremost, would be, what questions are you asking of your wider sales team, those that support it and those that are in it, and are you asking them questions and listening to their thoughts and ideas? Because they're closer to the coalface than you are, and so have a very, very different perspective. That, yeah. I would say, will be a universal behaviour for a leader, no matter what field of endeavour you're in. Sure. I think there's a, a good example of how you can lead by or learn how to lead by looking at how emotional intelligence in a tv program recently uh, by gareth malone gareth malone is a musician uh, and his um his kind of area that he's in is in getting people to form choirs and he mm. believes that by singing you can express yourself and you can you know do all kinds of things uh, that that you don't achieve without singing so um he uh, works, uh, does a series of programs for the BBC. So here in the UK, you'll be able to get this on iPlayer. Outside the UK, you'll be able to get it uh, via the BBC website, which will probably take you through to a YouTube link or whatever it is. But the, you'll be able to get this uh, program where he, there's just two programs uh, where he was forming a choir in a prison. Uh, so at Aylesbury uh, Young Offenders Institution, so nobody's over the age of 21 in a UK Young Offenders Institution, he formed a choir between the staff and prisoners, including one young man who had committed murder at the age of 15. And it was evident throughout this programme that actually he was able to get things out of these young boys that other people had never been able to get out. And the reason, when you watch him, the reason is all he did was just have emotional intelligence, listening to them, seeing what was good in them, and they, you know, were putting up barriers, as often prisoners will do, putting up barriers to him, suggesting, you know, this is never going to work. I, and then them seeing that actually by him listening to everybody else and being an emotionally intelligent person was drawing people together to achieve, you know, and at the end of the programme, you know, the whole audience is in tears and you could see these young men actually improving simply by singing but it was about his leadership. It was about the fact yes. that as an emotionally intelligent leader, not by saying, this is how you sing, this is how you do it, by him seeing positives in each of them and enable to bring all those positives together as a leader to form a team, a choir, out of people who would never have worked together 
who actually work together fantastically. I, I, I've watched Gareth Malone on the TV for, for 10 years, and I think he's absolutely fantastic in what he does. And interestingly, of course, when he's on these uh, film shoots, time is very, very tight in mm. the case of the prison programme. Uh, I mean, he was literally there for no more than about four or five weeks. Yeah. And one of the things he does instinctively and very cleverly is that he focuses on the 20% of people that will influence the other 80%. Yeah. He hasn't got time no, quite. to win over hundreds of people, but he's very, very good at getting the key prisoners or the key wardens or the staff, and he gets the right people who, when they decide to join the choir or say something, everybody else listens. And uh -huh. if you think back to the sporting world, yep. um, when... Um, uh, what's his name? Sven uh, Jürgen Eriksson was running the England team. Uh, he appointed what he called two cultural architects in the form of Michael Owen and David Beckham. Uh, and their job was basically to make sure everything went to plan in the dressing room, in the hotels, on the coach, uh, leaving Eriksson to worry about the pitch and the tactics and the strategy and all of that stuff. But again, interestingly, two people, key individuals, who were influencing and shaping the behaviour of the rest of the squad. And if you're trying to influence the culture of a team or the behaviour of a team or indeed create change in your sales organisation, I think those keepers, people of influence mm. or those cultural architects will be a really <clears throat> good place. The, um, the Dancing Guy video, have a look at that on YouTube. How do you start a movement? Yeah. And the interesting one there, the, guy, the guy's uh, hypothesis is leadership is overrated. It's followship that mm. creates a movement. So yeah, have a look for The Dancing Guy, forms part of a, forms part of a TED Talk. But I suppose the, the recurring theme that's come out, guys, is, is emotional intelligence. Yep. And there is, my goodness, such a considerable body of research and evidence on its importance in leadership, mm. but also in increasingly, if through, largely through neuroscience-based research, its importance in marketing and sales. So if you want an emotionally intelligent sales team, without a shadow of a doubt, you need an emotionally intelligent sales leader and sales manager. Absolutely. And there's, there is also evidence that you can learn and improve your emotional intelligence. So you, some people think, I'm not emotionally intelligent, therefore I can never do this. Actually, you can improve, like many intelligences, you can improve, you can learn. So if you don't think your team has got enough emotional intelligence, there's ways of improving it. Fantastic. So thank you. This is the uh, emotionally intelligent Phil Jesson, Graham Jones and, and Simon Hazeldean. Uh, sorry, Graham doesn't know football, but he's, he's obviously too posh. And he comes from Reading. He comes from... Ah, that's, that's... We used to be in the Premiership. <laughs> Oh, there was some venom. My emotional intelligence picked up some some venom in the voice. I think I think we understand where the rugby fascination has has, has come from. Let's stop there because it's going to all get nasty. Uh, saleschatshow.com, an absolute ton of episodes there, 125 plus and counting, or from wherever you get your podcast, you'll be able to subscribe to the sales chat show. So good luck with your sales teams, with your sales organization. And we just like to wish you good luck and good selling, folks.
have been listening to an episode of the Sales Chat Show. To stream or download a host of further free episodes that will power your sales success, please visit saleschatshow.com. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. And from everyone here at the Sales Chat Show, we'd like to wish you good luck and good selling. (laughs) 